Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Uh, and if you are new with us, I am particularly excited that you're here. Because what we're looking at in this series, this series that we're calling Crucify Him, you need to know if, if somebody hasn't put all the pieces together for you yet, this series is looking at what is known as the gospel message. And whether or not you want to believe everything else in the Bible, and, and we believe the Bible's true, but I realize that there's some things in the Bible that may be difficult, and you wonder, has archaeology proven it? And what does science say about it? If you will start with the story that we're examining in this series, I'm telling you that because it is the entire basis of the Christian faith. What Jesus did is he went to the cross, his ministry on the cross, and his resurrection. That is the foundation of Christianity. And so that's why we're going to take these weeks to look at it. And I'm so glad that you're here today. In fact, we've got a theme verse for this. And by the way, we've got some handouts. And if you don't have a sermon handout and you want one, you can find them on the middle table there. There's probably some still out in the foyer too if you want to grab one. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you want to move around. But here's our theme verse. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 says, says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose faith. That's what we're doing. We're considering him. We're going to take a long look to try to understand what was this? What was this event that occurred? And who is this person that we put our faith in that walks in such a way that he goes to a cross willingly? He goes to a crucifixion, to an execution willingly. And is at the same time 100% God and 100% man. So we're going to use today, we're going to use the gospel of Mark. And so I'm going to invite you to either open up the handout, use our, our worship app, or open up your Bible to Mark chapter 14. Last week what we did is we started in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and we learned that the Gethsemane means an oil press. And so it's not just the name of the garden, but it's what actually happened there and that they would come and they would harvest the olives and they'd put it under this massive stone. They would press the oil. And in the same way, Jesus was coming to that garden and he was experiencing what could only be described as a crushing moment. And he has a conversation with his heavenly father that says, if there's another way Please choose that way, but I'm going to follow your will, Father. And he rises up from that, and as he steps away from that moment of prayer, he encounters Judas, the one that has brought the officials, the mob, and they arrest Jesus. And we've got to use these terms loosely because they were really violating all kinds of laws and due process, but they take Jesus captive. And they're now going to run him through a series of trials. 
And what Mark is going to give us is this fascinating picture because in Mark, stuff's going to happen inside and outside. And so it's almost kind of like we've got a split screen going on here. And so I'm going to pick it up in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards, and he warmed himself at the fire. Okay, so that's, that's the outside. Now the camera's going to swing back inside. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against them, but their statements did not agree. So there's this trial going on. Now, it's not so much a trial as it really is just a travesty of justice because they're in violation of all kinds of their own laws. Now, and we have to kind of picture this. What this most likely was was a gathering of the Sanhedrin, the greater. Okay, there was different kind of lower courts and higher courts, and this one would have been probably a gathering of the highest court. And so it could have had as many as 71 priests and officials in this gathering. So you need to picture a chamber that's intimidating. And Jesus is somehow in the middle of it and high and lifted up and they're on their benches or in their seats or ringing around him are 71 and the chief priest is right in the middle of it. The high priest is in the middle. And they're leveling the accusations against him. They shouldn't even be meeting this time of night. That's not in their due process. But here they are. Verse 57. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. And then 59 tells us, but even their testimony did not agree with each other. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What's the testimony that these men are bringing against you? And in that moment, Jesus remains silent. At every point along this journey, pay attention to how Jesus responds. It is not the response of somebody that's being forced along. It is the response of somebody that is in complete control of the situation. Now, all the outward evidence looks like Jesus is being manhandled by everybody else. But Jesus is in control of this moment. Only because he is willing to endure this moment. So he remains silent and this just agitates them all the more. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And at this moment, Jesus says, I am. And you need to understand that anytime Jesus says, I am, he's not saying, yeah, right. He's saying, I am. He's taking on the name of God. I am. And so their mind, they go all the way back to the moment where Moses, when he stood before a burning bush and spoke the name, and God said, I am. 
So he is associating himself with that. And Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand. By the way, anytime you see Son of Man, that is Jesus' way of referencing himself. He's sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming down on the clouds of heaven. So when he says this, he basically equates himself to God. The high priest tears his clothes. says, why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him. And they struck him with their fists. And they said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. You see what's going on? They're not just trying to prove their case. They're trying to make their point. And they're so angry on the inside. And they're so really actually weak in this moment that what do you do when you're weak and you're backed into a corner? You have to kind of be a bully at that moment. And so they blindfold him and they start smacking him. And they say, well, if you can prophesy, let me know who hit you. It's, it's a total loss of their sensibilities at this point. He, he has so enraged them because he's so threatened what they stand for that they're going to abuse him. They, they wouldn't abuse anybody else this way. And here's Jesus that they had to create charges against. And they're going to abuse him in this way and beat him in this way. Well, that's inside. Now... Follow the camera outside. And as the camera swings outside, we're going to deal with a very personal moment in the life of Peter. And you probably have heard the name Peter before. Peter was one of the guys that helped launch the church. He followed Jesus. But we're about to examine the point in Peter's life where I imagine he was most disappointed with himself. And here's my offer. If you've never experienced a moment where you've been disappointed with yourself, you're free to leave, okay? Because those of us that have, we've got to come face to face with Peter. We've got to wrestle with a Peter because Peter wrestles with the things that we struggle with. And watch what the one that walked with him, the one that actually was willing to get out of a boat and follow Jesus on top of the water, watch how he behaves in this moment. Verse 66, outside, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. So this is a servant girl. You also were were at the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. Peter's response, 68, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. She follows him. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, Hey, this fellow's one of them. And again he denies it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter said, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter, this tough fisherman, 
this one that could work all night at the trade of fishing. And trust me, the fishing wasn't sitting on the bank with a pole. The fishing was working heavy nets in and out of the boat, in and out of the boat all along. The boat that didn't have a motor. The boat that you had to work to get it out to the place that you were going to fish. The one that had seen what the storms can do to a boat. The one that had seen and lost friends to the sea. This tough Peter, the one that only hours earlier when Jesus has said, said, everybody's going to abandon me. Peter says, he has the boldness to Peter go, to Jesus say, not me. I will be with you always. And here we are a few hours later, and his world is upside down, and a servant girl comes up to him. Says, hey, Weren't you with him? I don't know what you're talking about. And he has to get out of there. So he moves away, moves to a different fire. He's standing there and she won't leave him alone. No, I really think. And she turns to people. He's one of them. I mean, she's like the original paparazzi. He's one of them. And they start listening to him. And his accent, his Galilean accent, The way he says y'all gives him away. And so other guys perk up. They say, no, 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 you're from Galilee. You must be with him. There's no other reason you'd be here. And then he does what seems unbelievable for a guy like Peter, but I could see myself doing this. He calls down and says, I don't know this man that you're talking about. I don't know this man. The one that had already healed his mother-in-law. The one that walked on top of the water in the storm. The one that had broken the bread and kept breaking it until it fed a multitude and an extremely large crowd. That's the one that Peter says, I don't know him. How often in my life, with all the things that I know that Jesus has done for me, and I could tell you the stories, and I could give you the testimonies, do I still want to go back in times of stress and duress, say, I don't know him. And so, we're inside, it's chaos, and they're shouting But in the middle of it, when they point the finger at Jesus and say, you're the son of God, he says, I am. Outside, where it's a crackling of a fire and whispers. And I say, you're with him. It's a complete denial. And can you... Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine the moment where he shouts that next time, says, I don't even know the man, and suddenly it's one of those moments where it gets super quiet, and then he hears it. He hears a rooster crowing, and he remembers the words of Jesus that said, no, you're going to deny me three times before this rooster crows. And suddenly, look what it does to Peter. Peter. 
It says, he broke down and wept. Can you, the disappointment he must have with himself at this moment. The feeling of abject failure that he must have at this moment. My question is, have you been there? Have you been in that moment where you're like, I cannot believe what I've done. I can't believe I've done this again. I made promises that this would never happen again. And here I am. I mean, that moment where you really can't look in the mirror and you'll do anything and you'll medicate any other way besides having to face this moment, that's Peter. That's where he is. And if the story were to stop there, we would think it's a good story. We would think it comes out at least justified anyway. But the reason that we know the name Peter, the reason that you see buildings named after Peter, that we'll name our kids Peter, is not because of what Peter did, but because of what Jesus did. Jesus goes on to experience the cross. And you can only imagine this. Peter, from a far distance, watches Jesus hang on the cross and then watches him die and then knows that he's buried in the tomb. Can you imagine Peter's Friday and Saturday? That experience with the guilt that he must feel. And then when word comes that the tomb is empty and the body's not where we thought it should be, can you imagine his thought of, I want it to be true, but I can't begin to believe that the news is that good. And then once he realizes and Jesus appears before him that the news is that good and Jesus is actually alive, then just when you think, oh, maybe he's free of the guilt now, he would double down on the guilt and say, now I've got to face the one that I denied even knowing. And in that moment, Jesus redeems him and restores him. And then hands the mission of the church over to this one that said, I don't even know the man. And and the message is that that's what Jesus does in our disappointment. That's what Jesus does in the midst when we've come to such a point of failure. But I don't want you to take my words for it. I want you to listen to the words of the one that experienced that disappointment. So I want you to find a letter written by this guy, Peter, We call it in our Bibles, 1 Peter. Because we have two letters written by him. And what Peter's doing is years later, he's writing to this church. And he's writing to these Christians and he's trying to encourage them. And I believe he's actually reflecting back on this very night. This moment. And look at what he says. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him. Remember what's going on the inside. When they heard their insults in him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I, I think Peter's writing totally autobiographical there. On that night when they're hurling the insults at Jesus and they are wounding him, Peter knows that should have been me. That should have been me in the middle of that receiving the blows and taking the crucifixion. And then Peter has this revelation of, but by his wounds, by what he endured, he takes all that failure, all that disappointment, all that sin, and even the moment, Peter would tell us, when I said, I don't even know him. Peter, at his worst moment, was still a candidate for grace. Therefore, at your worst moment, Whatever that moment was, whatever season of life that was, whatever that season of life that is right now, you are a candidate for grace. You think, but I've got nothing to offer up. What did Peter have to offer up? He, he was an abject failure at that moment. But Jesus wasn't finished with him yet, and he's not finished with you. This past Friday was the four-year anniversary of my mom's death. So I spent a lot of time thinking about mom. And I thought about this illustration. And I've shared with you before, but it, it conveys what our response needs to be, just like Peter. So in honor of my mom, I tell you that years ago... I was about sixth grade, and I've got two younger brothers. And we were at that age where we were going to finally come up with mom's Christmas present, you know, on our own. You can see where this is headed. And back then, there was this thing that was, um, we had, first of all, we had things called malls. Um, that was real popular in the 80s. And in the mall, they always had a T-shirt shop. And a t-shirt shop is you would go in and you would look through these large bins of all these different designs. And they were vinyl iron-on patches that you would then select your t-shirt and put your iron-on patch. And when I say it's a vinyl patch, I mean, it was like a piece of plastic going onto these shirts. But they were glittery and, and they were, you know, we thought they were cool. And so my brothers and I, we go and we say, Dad, we got this. And I'm sure he probably funded the project, but... We're going to go pick this out. So we go, we spend all day picking out, going through all these different designs, and we finally find one that says, best mom ever. And it's glittery, and it's bright, and it's appropriately tacky. I mean, it was just, you know. So then we go and we pick a shirt. And then the, the sales lady helps us, and she takes our iron on, and she goes over the big press, and she presses it. And you can, I mean, back when you could still smell the vinyl and... And had that sent to it. And we wrap it up and we put this shirt in. Now, honestly, it was nothing to behold, okay? I mean, just a masterpiece, we thought. <laughs> but we cannot wait to give this shirt to mom. And she, we, we present it to her on Christmas Day and she opens it up and she holds it up. Now, an accurate response should have been... This is it? 
I was in labor for four hours with you, eight hours with you, six hours with you. This I have cooked and cleaned and washed and followed you around. This, this better be made of gold. Obviously, that wasn't a response. With all of our enthusiasm, we offered it up. She pulls it out. And she goes, it's perfect. It's just what I wanted. Turns out it was two sizes too small. But she still went on and put it on anyway. She says, what do you think? Peter had nothing to offer up but his broken, denying heart. His life that was in tatters. And you've got nothing to offer up but your broken, denying heart and your life that's in tatters. And the response from Jesus is this. It's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. Now, let me show you what I can do with it. So wherever you are, if you haven't made that offer to God yet, I'm going to ask that you wrestle with this message and you allow God to begin that work in you. Because if he can take a Peter and change his life, and if he can take my life and change it, and he can do miraculous stuff with yours, Let me pray for you. Father, for all those that hear and are disappointed with themselves, I pray that you would begin to break through that that barrier that we tend to build up and that you would invite us, let us hear that invitation to come and be restored just like Peter. By you, that by your wounds, by what you endured on the cross, that you would make us whole again. Not because we're so special, but because you are. So, Father, anybody that thinks that they're perhaps too far gone, that you would begin to work on that lie today. And you begin the transformation process. And so, Father, as we offer our lives up to you, even though they're ragtag, that we would still see the smile on your face as you look down and say, that's all I've ever wanted. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.